Thank you, Sarah. And uh, thank you, too, for all your, your kind messages and words and uh, very generous of you um, with your gifts and so on. And overwhelming. Thank you very much indeed from all of us. Um, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity uh, for the, those of us who know and love you to live for Christ. And we pray as we consider that theme tonight, you'd open your word to us. Help us to hear it and apply it and live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever been seriously misunderstood. Um, a friend of mine was very seriously misunderstood. He told me the story. His name is Dave. And uh, he was traveling north on the M1 motorway from London to Leeds um, just before Christmas. Uh, his girlfriend, Annie, was from Leeds and she was introducing Dave to the family. And they've been going out for quite a while. And uh, on the way up, it's uh, Annie's car and she's driving and she knows the way. And uh, he's just sort of sat next to her. And he says, as they're driving through, you know, busy traffic just before Christmas. And he says the words that she's just startled. She's in the fast lane driving at the, the limit. And he says, do you want to marry me? And she goes, what? I'm driving in the fast lane. And, and you ask me the most incredible question a girl could ever hear. You know, do you want to marry me? No. Do you want a Murray mint? <laughs> it's a popular mint in England. <laughs> he was pretty shocked, was Dave. He should have made his enunciation, pronunciation a bit better, shouldn't he? And, uh, well, you'll be glad to know that a year later... Um, he did propose properly, uh, not in the car, and she said yes, and they've got three grown-up kids. So uh, there you go. He was very misunderstood. Paul, on a more serious note, he was misunderstood because there was a gang of people in Corinth. Now, that's who he's writing to, the Corinthian church, and he'd spent a year and a half in Corinth evangelizing there and then building up the believers and had an incredible time. After he'd gone, um, basically a new raft of leadership arrived who Paul rather naughtily calls in chapter 11 the super apostles. And uh, basically they were saying, look, Paul was good as far as he went, but, you know, I mean, he's always in prison. He's getting flogged and stoned. I mean, he's not very spiritual, is he? I mean, you know, if he was, that wouldn't be happening, would it? And uh, so listen to us. You know, we're the big guns now, and, and we're just very spiritual. So, you know, get, get your head right and listen to us. So Paul is trying to defend his ministry and saying, look, if you think we're mad for what we're doing, and if you're out of, out of our mind, he actually says um, in verse 13... You know, the long hours of ministry, the imprisonments, the floggings, the travel, the constant hardships. And they're saying, why on earth do you bother with this, Paul? 
you're not very spiritual. He's, he's defending his ministry. The reason I do it, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. Here in chapter 5, Paul feels it's important to make clear that he has good motives in ministry. And how he understands that the gospel has changed not only his life but theirs as well. And he highlights three key points for the Christian believer. Our purpose, our perspective and our privilege. So firstly, our purpose. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. When Paul, and I guess all of us who would call ourselves Christian here tonight, grasped for the very first time that Jesus died on the cross for us, taking our place and bearing our sin, it changed our lives forever. We had a new sense of purpose, which was no longer to live for ourselves, but for Christ. The love he showed by dying on the cross for us has compelled us and driven us to live for him ever since. We've never, not always got it right, but we've had a go. And that's why we have the confession as part of our sort of liturgy, because we know we, need, we stuff up and we need to say sorry. And God is gracious and merciful and loving. He says, that's okay. That's why I gave you the Lord's Prayer. You know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's all there. Jesus knew exactly what was going to be happening with those who followed him. Yes, we've not always responded to Jesus, the Redeemer, as we should. But he knows we're earthen vessels. He calls us that in the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He knows we're just clay vessels, pots. We break. We're brittle. But by God's grace, we serve him. We know him. We love him. And we seek to honor him. What a, what a privilege. Each day should be lived out as a day of gratitude, especially in the light of the cross. When I became a Christian on a scripture union camp um, in the southwest of England, um, when I was 14, um, I went down because the chemistry teacher invited a whole gang of us and he explained it. There were going to be these Bible talks morning and evening, but there were sports. There was, you could go sailing, you could go caving, you could go rock climbing, you could do canoeing, all these sort of things. So it just sounded great. So I went, I thought, well, I'll put up with those talks in the morning and the evening. But you know what? Those were the things that I enjoyed and looked forward to most. And I was 14. And it was the talk on the cross that was the gripper. And I just heard that. I'd always thought, you know, the cross was an example, you know, of sacrifice. And he didn't deserve it. He was innocent. But I don't know why. But apparently it was important. And there are stained glass windows in England. And there are crosses on the buns at Good Friday. And, you know, that's good. But when it was explained that actually, no, the cross is about God's love for you. That he was on that cross for you. He died for you. For the wrong you've done. And I just couldn't believe it. He loves you that much. 
he died in your place. And when I understood that, I knew I had to respond. And I ran back to the dormitory I was in, dorm H, and knelt by my bed that night and asked Jesus into my life. And I guess there's a number here tonight. It was the cross that brought you to Jesus. And friends, let's never forget the cross of Jesus. There it is, up there. It's on the, the, the big sails outside onto the street to tell Blackburn not to forget the cross of Jesus. We forget things, so Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. Not to forget his death. Count Nicholas von Ludwig Zinzendorf. It's a real name. When he died in 1760, there were 226 Moravian mission partners all over the world. We're talking about South America. I've got a list here. West Indies, Africa, even among the Eskimos and native Indian communities of North America. He became the the guy in charge for the whole missionary wing of the Moravian church. He was an incredible man. Absolutely extraordinary. This is before jet aircraft. This is before, you know, ironclad ships. Weihan, I hope you're taking notes. And, uh, you know, incredible to get so many people to go out onto the mission field in the 18th century. How did he come like that? Why was he so compelled to do this? Because there's a very wealthy young man. He was on the tour of Europe and he went to all the palaces in Paris and Vienna and Italy and he was in Rome and he went into one of the art galleries there and he saw the painting Ecce Homo, Behold the Man of Christ on the Cross and it said underneath the painting, all this Christ did for you, what will you do for him? He couldn't get that out of his head. A wealthy young man, you know, everything, the world at his feet. Three days later, he gave his life to Christ, tossed all that away to serve Jesus. Because of the cross, the love of Christ compelled him. And for us, I'm sure that's what's kept us going. And that's why Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper, just to come again and again and again to remember this is how much he loves you. You've had a bad week or you're proud, it'll humble us. You're feeling down, it'll lift you. Gosh, he loves me that much. I wandered away from the faith in my late teens, early 20s. I'd made a commitment and I was still belonging to Jesus. The spirit was, God was still at work. One of the leaders on the camp where I'd become a Christian was a missioner in my college at Durham during a university mission. I wasn't going to go to this university mission, but he was the missioner and I knew him and I thought, I felt sorry for him. He was wandering around the college and no one wanted to talk to him, but I knew him from way back. So I offered him coffee in my room. Mike, that wasn't very clever if you want to avoid God. <laughs> you invite an evangelist into your room. He ended up running uh, Alpha for the whole of America. Anyway, so he's quite an evangelist. So he comes in 
And he said, so Mike, how are things going for you as a Christian? Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> oh, yeah, couldn't be better. I mean, just, uh, yeah, just... I wasn't praying, I wasn't reading the Bible, I wasn't going to church, but apparently I was doing really well. So, yeah, I just, you know, I do the best I can, you know, follow God, and yeah, it's just great, yeah. Okay, well, that, that's, that's really good, and, you know, doing your best for God. But, Mike, isn't the cross the center of everything? And I just knew. I just knew I was a million miles from Jesus and that really brought me home it was the cross that's why I become a Christian and all he had to say is where's the cross where is it Mike and I just say to you as I say to myself where's the cross in our life is it central is it at the heart do we reflect on the love of Jesus and give thanks and say that's why I follow him and we want others to know their love too. Of course we do. The last verse of Isaac Watts' famous hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, goes, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So our purpose. Second, our perspective. Verse 16. So from now on we regard No one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Now, just to explain, Paul hadn't always been a Christian. I mean, he's a big preacher and evangelist now and missionary. But he'd been a persecutor of Christians. He hated the name of Jesus. But now he saw Jesus from a completely different perspective. He worshipped him. He followed him. He called him his Lord. How did that happen? Well, you'll know the story. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians there. And Jesus met him on the way through a blinding light that just made him fall from his horse and go. He couldn't see a thing and wondered what was going on. And he says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus replies, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Suddenly he realized he got Jesus so very wrong. And if you're here tonight and you've got Jesus a bit wrong, why not come on the Alpha course and find out a bit more about the Christian faith? If you've been brought by a friend or just come on your own, give it a go. Starts Feb 20. There's some cards in the foyer. So... Paul realized he'd got the wrong perspective and now he had the right one on Jesus. His whole perspective changed overnight. And we are spiritual beings made for a relationship with God who created us. The God revealed supremely in Jesus. And that's why Paul gave his life to telling and imploring all those who would hear that we must come to Christ to discover life. To discover what it means to live a meaningful life. Do you remember Jesus' words, John 10.10, I have come that you may have life, life in all its fullness. And that is so true. But that's not what everyone hears outside these doors, sadly, is it? If anyone is in Christ, belongs to Christ, they are a new creation. 
The old has gone, the new has come. That's the wonderful truth when we come to Christ. I once heard the great uh, Argentinian evangelist, Luis Palau, who's in glory now, but I heard him in the 1980s um, talk about a dinner he was at in Rome. Rome is popular tonight. Um, he was leading a big mission in Rome in the 80s. And the Soviet Union was still, um, you know, happening. And uh, he was sat next to this very big dinner with ambassadors and dignitaries from all over. They invited Louis Palau, who was in town, and he sat next to a four-star Russian general. And uh, who said, why are you here in the Rome? I work here, you visit? And he explained he was from Argentina and he was an evangelist. What do you do, the evangelist? So he explained that he was, he told people about Jesus. So what is the telling? What's the, tell me story. So he told him the whole gospel. And the general really listened. And... Louis Palau said, and I asked him about what it's like to be a general, and you know, running all those tanks and everything, and uh, whatever. And um, so they chatted, and they shook hands, and it was the end of a very nice dinner. And they went back to their respective places, and three days later, there was a call from reception up to Louis Palau's room. And it was the Russian general put through, saying he'd like to meet him. Sure. Uh, when? I'd like to meet you today. Fine. Um, okay, uh, I'll book a room. So he booked a small conference room downstairs in a, in a hotel in Rome. And the Russian general came in and basically said, I want this Jesus you told me about the other night. I've not thought of anything else. I might be a four-star Russian general, but I've been missing something. I want your Jesus. They knelt on the carpet and Louis Palau led him to Christ incredible and that was in the end of the story because the Russian general wrote to him weeks later from Russia and said I've started a bible study with my colonels <laughs> well you don't argue as a colonel with your general when he opens the bible and says we're going to do a bible study I mean how brave was that this is the Soviet Union he was compelled by the love of Christ and had a new perspective on life. I don't know what happened to that man, but it just shows you if that could happen in the Soviet times, what God can do today. And Russia needs our prayers and the leadership of Russia and its people need our prayers, don't they? Um, he definitely had a new perspective. The old had gone, the new had come. What about our perspective? When we see people, do we see them as Paul did? People who, they might be very important, like a four-star Russian general. But Louis Palau saw the guy next to him and just saw a guy who needed Jesus, who was a bit lost. He could see that. He said, I could see the guy was really just lost in life. He had this big job and everything attached. And uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in people's hearts. There's not a person on the planet who doesn't secretly recognize that there's a big missing piece in their lives if they're living without the love of the Lord Jesus. 
what a difference it makes when they discover the truth of Jesus. And that leads finally to our privilege, our motives, to our purpose, our perspective, and finally, our privilege. Verse 19, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's what Louis Palau was doing, giving that message of reconciliation. Louis Palau had become a Christian. I met a lady in England when I preached at a church in Bury St. Edmunds once, uh, an open brethren church, and I talked about Louis Palau, and she came up to me afterwards over tea and said, my father was a missionary in Argentina, and Louis Palau, as an eight-year-old, was in his Sunday school class. How about that? Isn't that just wonderful? And he'd been reconciled to Christ. I don't know if it was through that Sunday school class, very possibly. And now he was reconciling others to God. And that's our privilege. We get to do that. We get the enormous privilege of sharing the message of Jesus, the best news in the world with other people. And it is the best news in the world. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God speaking through you and I. That's what it says. That's unbelievable. I mean, Kevin Rudd is going to be the new ambassador to Washington. And it's a very big role. And he's got, you know, a big house and he has a nice diplomatic car with the diplomatic plates. He's ambassador what to Washington. But friends, we have a bigger job. We are ambassador to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We may not have the fancy house and car, but we're his ambassadors every day of our lives. What a privilege. So you're at uni. And they just see you across the lecture room, the tutor room, the lunch hall. Your next door neighbor, your work colleague, your family member, your oldest friend. We're ambassadors for Christ. No greater privilege is there. It was a Wednesday. And... uh, there wasn't a lot happening, you know, as it were, in the church. It was quiet. We'd had a service in the morning, uh, which I'd taken. And it was about probably 2.30. And an elderly man of 80 walks through the door. Never been to St. Alfred's before. And Heather Mitchell was the administrator then. And he went up to the desk and said, I want to be baptized. And uh, she thought, fine, okay. Um, I'll go and get a minister to speak to you. And Peter was, was busy at that time, and I was available, and so I came out. And it was a very nice Malaysian gentleman called Kid Wu. And uh, he said, I'd like to be baptized. And we just met in the foyer, we sat down and said, that's, that's great. I mean, how long have you been going to church and being a Christian? Oh, I'm not a Christian yet, but um, I'm sort of getting there. I've been to church twice. Good, okay. Um, so... I said, why don't you come on Sunday and uh, we can talk about it afterwards and you can tell me what you thought of the service. So I, I made sure there were some people here when he arrived who would sit with him. That was Doug and Leonie Mitchell. And, uh, and they took him for coffee afterwards here. 
And, and I caught up with him and I said, can I come Tuesday? He was a GP and he knew people were busy and had diaries. And he said, you don't have to. I should come to you. No, no, no. I'll come to you. You know, I'm his 80, you know. I'll come to you. No problem. He said, you do that for me? I said, there's no greater privilege. <laughs> Believe me. So I went to the house. He loved the service. I loved it. See, my daughter goes to church in Western Australia. And I've been there a couple of times. It's amazing. And uh, that's why I want to get baptized. I said, well, there's a lot more to the faith than just going to church. How about we do a course? I've got one that is on DVD. And you've got a computer? Yeah, I've got a, a laptop. It takes DVDs. Let's do Christianity Explored. It just goes through the basics of the Christian faith with Mark's gospel. Would you like that? Yeah, but can you spare the time? I mean, you're busy. No, no, no. Kid, I would love to do this, please. So I did. And it was like unbelievable. I mean, this guy, he just loved it. And you would have loved him. Just the most lovely man. And every, oh my, this is amazing. So he died for me and he rose from the dead. And it was all, it was all new. He'd never heard it. Not really. And he said, towards the end, he said, Mike, I mean, I'm a doctor. I'm a professional man. I've studied. But I've been like a ship in an ocean without a rudder all my life. And now I understand. And life makes sense. We got to the end of the course. I gave him an evangelistic booklet with a prayer in the back, with a prayer of commitment. And I said, kid, if you ever feel you can pray that prayer, all I ask is you let me know. That was it. He came to church the following Sunday. Nothing was said. And two weeks, uh, and then the following week he came and he sidled up to me over coffee. He said, I prayed their prayer last night. I asked him in. I said, kid, that is wonderful. And it was just this big beaming smile and he was just so thrilled. That was the May 2017 two months later the leukemia he told me about came back he'd been diagnosed some years earlier but it was latent and they didn't know if it would come back or not but it did and I went to visit him in Box Hill Hospital and he never really came out came out I think once and the last time I saw him um, we'd fixed after he became a Christian, a baptism in sort of October, November of that year. But that wasn't going to happen. And I said, Quid, why don't I baptize you now? He said, but you can't. We're not in a church. I said, there's a cup. There's a sink with, with running water. I'm a minister. I've got a Bible. Let's go. <laughs> His daughter was there. And uh, we did it. And he loved it. Friends, he died that night. And we don't need to be baptized to enter the kingdom. Let me just make that clear. But wow, that was wonderful. That meant so much to me and to him, but to his daughter particularly. She just, she knew how much her dad wanted to be baptized. And God worked in her life too, greatly. So praise the Lord for that. But what a privilege. And you'll have your own stories of people just bumping into your lives and do pray for those opportunities. You just don't know when they're going to come. I mean, you'd have thought this guy would just come in off the street. And um, amazing. It is a great privilege. And so as I close, 
in this my last sermon, may our words and our lives speak of the God we serve. As ambassadors for Christ, may we in our situation and context be like Count Zinzendorf, compelled by the love of Jesus, like Louis Palau, seeing that perspective of people actually lost and needing Jesus, even if they're four-star generals. Unlike Paul, just never gave up. May we be thankful for the purpose, perspective, and privilege we've been given as people who belonging to Jesus. And as I conclude, may we never forget verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. How amazing is that? So when we know that truth, let's not receive God's grace in vain. But share the news because today is the day of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. So let's go and tell it to the world. But my prayer is that we all keep going, looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, running the race until the end. God bless. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the enormous privilege we have to know you. Knowing what you've done for us. You've created us and you've redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. It cost you. And may we be people who don't want to live for ourselves, but for you because of who you are and what you've done. And thank you that one day we will be with you forever because we belong to you. And so, Lord, we pray you'd sustain us and equip us for every good work. Fill us with your spirit. And may we always know your loving presence each step of the way as we love and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and keep you. Amen.